From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, including how we can help you apply lean thinking, please visit lean.org. This is Coachable, WLEI's series exploring the implication and dynamic of coaching in a business environment. I'm your host, Deb McGee. To introduce myself in this first episode, you'll meet two influential voices in my own coaching journey. And I invite you to participate in this conversation by emailing us to pod, P-O-D, at lean.org. First, we'll hear from Paul Serafino, a coach who first introduced me to lean thinking, followed by Jason Berkman, a leader I coached through LEI's partner program. Between the two interviews, I'll tell you a bit more about each of them and how they've been influential as my own coaching practice emerges. You are actually the person who introduced me to this uh, way of development that we'll refer to as coaching. Everything prior to my experience with you was traditional management. So having objectives, annual objectives that I set myself No kind of support or plan to put them into place and then sort of checking the box at an annual review. And I remember the place that we worked, I struggled a lot in. I would consider myself successful there. I spent a lot of time there. I did a lot of things there, but I didn't actually grow a lot there as a person. And in fact, maybe uh, stopped growing there. The role that you and Mike played in my development, I said, if I can sort of visually describe it, um, Mike was responsible for kicking in the door and you were responsible for turning on the lights. And that's how it felt to be engaged in a coaching way. And um, one of the things that I'm curious about is your first exposure to coaching in a business environment. I'm thinking back to when that actually was. Um, You know, my first real coaching experience where I I saw the value of it and actually kind of learned what it really is, or at least how I've come to understand it now. Um, It was business related. It was work related. Mike was involved, um, but it wasn't at the place of business. It was, it was at a diner and, and we were meeting for breakfast and he introduced me to a gentleman named Albert. And we had a very good conversation about the projects that I was tasked with and the work I was tasked with. Um, and the objectives and things that I was tasked with. And I keep saying tasked because that was sort of the, the, the thing I was used to, like you mentioned about management and managing objectives and managing projects, managing the work, even managing people. It was always task-based. It was always there's some sort of thing we have to do. There's an act we have to you know, execute and some kind of measurable thing we need to obtain. So that was what I was taught and that's what I believed was my objective. Um, in my new role as a continuous improvement manager was to figure out what are the things we have to obtain and then help people get there, show them how to, how to obtain the thing and give them the tasks to, get, to figure it out. Um, and Albert was very patient listening to me describe all of that and talk about how one of the things I needed to obtain was, was uh, cost reduction and lower costs. And he took that opportunity to completely flip my brain around and walk me through the process of what will you actually achieve and where are you trying to go if that is your primary objective is to continue to reduce cost. 
and he took me to a hypothetical philosophical viewpoint on it but essentially what i helped make his point was we'll have nothing left we'll basically spend zero on on zero things and that would be the ultimate <laughs> accomplishment mm-hmm. of of that thinking and in the moment he kind of said well you know instead what if you looked at creation what would you be trying to create and that's where we talked about the value conversation that we're there to create value and if value has no limit or ceiling on it but cost has a bottom then you're better putting all your time and energy into creating more and more value yeah and paying less and less attention to the the acquisition of lower cost or the project and task-based functions of saving money or reducing what you spend instead trying to look at how do you do it responsibly and how do you do it in a way that's controllable in a way that supports the creation of value rather than holding you back from it. And that conversation, I say, was my first exposure to, to coaching in a business environment because we were talking about specific um, business-related things, specific customers, um, specific products that were crucial to my role to learn and understand. But what we were also doing is he was changing my thinking mm-hmm. and completely flipping my perspective to not just look at it differently, but to understand it differently. To think of it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's funny because you carried that through, I would say, because prior to joining, I had had exposure to lean practice. Right? We do this kind of event or we employ this tool, even went through a set of classes. But it wasn't until you and I sat down on the topic of A3 mm. that I started to understand that this is a way of thinking, not just a way of doing things differently. And so that uh, is that is uh, maybe a difference between managing mm-hmm. uh, tasks and coaching a person to a higher level of thinking. Yes. Now you went through a transformation before you came, and was there coaching relationships in a coaching way in that transformation? Um, there wasn't really. Um, that was the, I think that was the idea behind it. Mm-hmm. But it was still very much task-based. It was a very large organization, a lot of things going on, and a lot of people. So if we lost focus on tasks, then it probably would have been total chaos. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't a lot of deep coaching going on. There was a lot of training. Mm-hmm. A lot That's of different. Very different. A lot of teaching of a, another method to achieve the, the task, another method to obtain the thing you're trying to get um, or eliminate. And we talk about, in the lean world, waste elimination, obviously, a lot. And I think that's very task-heavy, and there's a lot of teaching and training of how to do it and what to get at the end or what to get rid of. And there's a place for it, but I think the difference is with the coaching side is you're, you're showing people how to think differently or you're opening their own eyes to new thoughts, new ideas, like your analogy of turning the light on. Mm. I love that because that's... You're not only igniting the light inside each person as as one of your primary goals as a coach, I think, but also when you're being coached, there's resistance to it. There's filters of your life experience, your professional experience. There's your own belief system that has been preventing you from seeing the light, so to speak, or from from thinking differently. And if a coach can can break down some of those beliefs or show and demonstrate to you that an alternative viewpoint or an alternative reality is is could be very true. Now, as the individual being coached, I think the challenge becomes, what if my way is untrue? What if my oh, yeah. way that I know isn't the only one? If I can get past that and I can start to see it differently, 
now I can start to create with, with fewer limitations. And, and if a coach facilitates that, I think they've, he or she's done their job. And the, um, it calls into question all of your structure, right? That's gotten yes. to, to where you are. That's, a, that's a, a brave thing to do, I think, as someone who's being coached. And I, I love this metaphor of light, right? Both the um, light as in you know, light versus dark, but also light as in uh, nimble. Mm-hmm. Light as in taking the stones out of your backpack. Yes. Right? Light as in um, lightening up, like lightening you to, to free up and to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that I've talked to a lot of people about is trust and how can you coach without trust? And if not, what is that, um, what is that trust building like? And when you think about situations where you have to coach, you don't always have years of time to build up trust and equity with somebody. Mm-hmm. You might come into an environment as a coach and have to coach without so much knowing the people there. And I would perceive that as a challenge. And how do you, how do you respond to that? How do you think about that? Um, you know, one of the fundamental things that I had to, to shift about myself, my own beliefs, and, and the way I had learned was transformation is this thing that has to occur over a long period of time. Mm. So, and, and that was a lot of the way I was managed in the, in the organizations I came up through with, there's many, many tasks involved with making a major change. And to transform means many tasks, which means time. Um, when it comes to being a coach and trying to help facilitate a transformation or even create the, the belief that transformation is possible, uh, you're right, you, you don't always have years to, to build that thinking in others. You don't have years to demonstrate it. And you so, certainly don't have years to get someone to trust your word. So how do you get trust quickly? And the reason I brought up transformation is my, my one of my new beliefs around that and something I've conditioned about myself and taken it into my coaching with others is transformation happens in an instant. Mm. And it's really based on a decision to change. So once you're able to decide you want to change and you're able to you make the decision to believe there's a better way or that something better is on the other side of the challenge in front of you, I believe that's where the transformation occurs because everything downstream of that is a lot of logistics, a lot of figuring out of stuff, but that decision first has to be made and if you can and if you can help someone and facilitate that decision, I think that's the critical part a coach can play and where trust comes into it is the person that hasn't decided to transform is struggling with something. There's something blocking them. There's something holding them back. And most times it's doubt, it's fear. It's some kind of limiting negative belief about themselves and about how the world works. So if you can quickly ask the right questions and observe in the other person what they might be afraid of, and then let them know you understand where they're coming from, or at least that you can appreciate how they feel and maybe even relate to it, I think that's what builds trust. Mm. So it's a little bit of an investigation and some curiosity around what are they afraid of at a personal level and on a human level. If you connect to that, I think you can build trust quickly. That was something that that you did for me. You created the conditions in which it was okay to be vulnerable in not knowing how to proceed. I remember that because the environment that I was working within did not feel safe to experiment, did mm. not feel safe to admit that you didn't know something, did not feel safe to call out, you know, I'm, I'm not doing my best quality work. So creating those conditions 
for people to feel safe revealing that kind of vulnerability so that they can then take a step forward. I'm curious about coaching uh, as it relates to uh, things like leadership, things like training, things like managing. These are all really different words. And mm-hmm. what is it about coaching that make in the business environment, what is it about coaching do you think that makes it different than those other things? The thing that makes it different, I, I think if there's one common theme that I've learned having been coached by a variety of people for a variety of reasons, um, and I've been a coach myself of various people in different situations, the, the commonality to all of it that I think doesn't really exist with peer management um, and, and is missing in a lot of cases in leadership is that that connection human to human at an emotional level. I think in, in, in business especially it's hard and it's challenging um, and it's culture dependent and, and I think in a lot of cases business is in people's minds by default uh, void of emotion. Or should be. Sh- or should yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. because then Emotion could make decision, you know, rash decisions or emotion could could cause us to miss the important data. Um, whereas when a coach needs to to come in and work with somebody or a coach chooses to try to help somebody make that transformation and facilitate the decision to do so. If they don't connect emotionally, trust is very difficult, but understanding the real challenge for that other person is almost impossible if you're only looking at logic and data. Um, whereas for a manager to complete the task, drive the team to complete it, set the goal, uh, logic is very important and data is very important. And emotion doesn't necessarily become, it's not a requirement to complete the task or acquire the thing you're trying to acquire. Uh, but to shift the thinking of the people involved, uh, emotion is, is paramount. And when it's missing, there's... There's not the trust that's required, but the team itself isn't as strong. And the people's attachment to completing the work in a meaningful way is, is also lost. So then their enthusiasm around it might not be that great. Um, and their own ability to, to change in order to find new creative ways to accomplish the goal becomes more difficult. So emotion is an interesting thing to talk about because there are managers, traditional modern managers, that use emotion to manipulate. I know, I mean, I can speak from experience about getting sort of written up, which for me was like traumatic, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a good kid, uh, doing my best every day. And I remember, you know, sort of getting written up on a review as, as as a lever, right, to, to, put me in a place of fear so that I would sort of take on more or do more or so I could be leveraged, right? right? To, to mm-hmm. whatever task, to whatever end. And so it's, um, there's, a, there's a kind of purity of motivation or intent with a coach versus with uh, somebody who might be using emotion to manipulate others too. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to, as someone who's being coached, as someone who's coachable, right? It's hard to... It's not hard, but it's a leap of faith to trust that the person you're going to, um, who's going to accompany you on your transformation, uh, is uh, is going to be responsible with that vulnerability. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. important. You said something that made me think uh, too about the. There's this notion that when the learner is ready, the teacher will appear. 
And I love that notion because you're not always ready for that next threshold, right? We were talking about thresholds and pushing through them um, and how opportunity kind of comes or, um, you know, a, a pairing between a, a person being coached and a coach uh, shows up in sometimes unlikely ways or unexpected ways. Um, and I can say in my life, I was not expecting, I think I was looking for a job when you first started there. Yeah. And I didn't get it, and it was just like the bottom dropped out. Like, it was just the end, right? It was like rock bottom. <laughs> and in fact, became like one of the most important things that never happened for me. Yeah. And I just find that amazing. And so uh, maybe if you have any thoughts or feelings or experience with uh, sort of who comes to be uh, someone you're coaching or a coach of yours and how that happens. Yeah, I think, you know... A lot of times I've always said, you know, a coach is the person you seek out to help you in a certain way. And mentors are the ones that kind of arrive more organically. As far as how do you find the coach or how does the coach find you and what makes that happen? There's so many different events that, that unfold in our, in our lives. And most of them we view as the cause of how we feel. Like the example you gave, you didn't get the job and it and it caused you to feel down, it caused you to feel negative, um, rock bottom. And I think what happens is, without us even consciously knowing it, there are things that we experience or observe as events that we actually see as the effect of something else. And we may not know it. And usually that's something emotional. That's why emotions are so important. If you're in an emotional state where you might feel like rock bottom has just happened, and something inside of you says, I'm not willing to give up my fight just yet. And I'm actually more courageous in this moment than I ever have been. The next thing that occurs, rather than it being a cause of your emotional state or a cause of, of your course through life, it's actually the result or effect of you having that courage. That's amazing. And someone randomly walks in your office that day, meets you on his first day at work. And next thing you know, it's somebody who's has a meaning in your life and changes your course even though you weren't specifically asking that of that person, it's just that you maybe subconsciously made the choice that you were not giving up the fight or you were more open in that moment for something bigger because you felt you deserved it. And that can happen in a split second. And then it just becomes, you know, timing and logistics after that. That's amazing. Can those moments be facilitated? Can they almost be created? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's powerful. It is. And, and I think that's where something like, uh, you know, leaders who are who are told they should coach, respect their people and coach and develop their people. And they have not learned themselves how to make the decision to transform. They also haven't learned how to how to move up the emotional scale from the places of doubt, fear, anxiety, uh, grief, those those things that grip us as people. If they haven't figured out how to intentionally move themselves up higher to courage and to love and to be into acceptance of just what's occurring around them and seeing it all as the effect of their state rather than the cause of it, if they don't know how to do that yet, it's really hard for them to help bring someone else up. That brings me to this idea of application, right? So taking coaching out of the theoretical and bringing it into practice. Mm -hmm. So you actually are, when you coach someone, you're coaching them to do something or to be something right and so being really specific about where you are today and where you want to be whatever that increment of time is um, what are your tactics I guess for moving people through their thresholds 
um, starting with assessing where they are now. How do you do that? Um, yeah, so the one of the big goals, if you will, or, or one of the, the plans with, with someone I coach is I want them to learn how to create those exact, to create those moments so that when they observe an event, they experience something in the world happening around them, they see it as the effect of their thoughts rather than feeling victimized by it and saying, boy, that's a mountain of work I'll never catch up on. And it makes them feel like they're a failure as a leader or makes them go into a stressed state of you know, panic and doling out tasks and managing tasks rather than facilitating or delegating or, or leading their team. Um, I, I, my aim initially is to teach them how to move themselves into a state more constantly where they see events like mountains of work or many things that are due in one day as the effect of their emotional state. And what they don't realize initially and what I coach them through is when they are in a different frame of mind, a different belief structure, emotionally feeling courageous or loving, you know, then they see the mountains of work as either an opportunity or they actually realize there's no mountain. There's actually one important thing we need to do today and if they can rally their team around it, they'll move further ahead as a group or an organization getting that one thing done. And so the, the tactic or the technique is first almost like a diagnosis of them of what is the what is the real limitation to the progress they think they should be making, the things they expect they should do, um, where they believe they should be. We talk a lot about that and say, well, what's what's holding you back and preventing it? And it's always something external. There's always some factor that they point to. And that's my coaching moment to move them into very quickly in a conversation to a different frame of mind to say, instead of coming at it from a perspective of doubt or fear, what if you looked at it as accepting that as exactly the place you're supposed to be? We're looking at it as the challenge that you've been asking for your whole life is finally here. And through those kinds of questions, get them to see the exact same scenario very differently. And now they no longer are looking at what's holding me back from where I should be. It's, I haven't even allowed myself to dream about what I wanna do. And now they start to think about what they actually want to achieve as a leader or where they wanna take their organization or just how they wanna grow as a person. And once that thought starts to occur, then we go back the other direction to, okay, what's really now getting in the way? And they quickly see it's just their own ability to dream or their own ability to, to think about possibility. And now they realize that's entirely in their control. And then we get to work on, how do we put it back in your hands and make a plan to get there? There's so much in there. Uh, I, I find when I talk to my kids, um, they, it's, a, it's a similar experience because when they ask me what I want to be and what I want to do, which they still believe I have room to grow, which I love, um, they're not limited by the 16 jobs that are sort of on the market. Right. right? They don't know what a project manager is right. or what a trainer is or whatever, you know? And so the sky is the limit in their minds about what you want to be and do. But... I have a question to ask about this. And do you ever have to right size or kind of level set? These are words. What I'm trying to say is there are certainly, like, not everyone can do everything. Not everyone can accomplish anything that's in their mind. And I feel as though we live in a culture where that's almost encouraged to the point of um, it's irresponsible. I think that people... I could be correct on this, but I think that people have limitations. Do you see what I'm saying? And I've come across people who dream big mm -hmm. and, and yet are not 
maybe don't either either have the skill or the capability or there's just it's just not realistic mm. uh, um, what's in there there's yeah there. no I, I i i get it and it is hard for a lot of people to hear that just oh let's learn how to dream bigger and then we can you know accomplish whatever we want we can take over the world we can have right. it all right that's not really what i try to drive towards with them it's more dreaming big or thinking about possibility is connecting more to what what's their what's on their heart what is what's truly their purpose for being here what is it what's the thing they want to do to contribute to the world and that can be anything and, and it isn't just you know let's i want to dream about being the next uh, mother teresa or the next steve jobs or the, or found the next google it's more about what kind of impact do you want to have on other human beings' lives? Yeah. What do you want to do to change other people's lives in, in a favorable, positive way that they get the benefit and then you have the fulfillment knowing you created it? And once you can decide what that is, now there's really nothing that prevents you from doing it. And that's what I, my definition of everyone can do anything they set their mind to. It's... The thing you're setting your mind to, if it doesn't have a direct personal meaning to you and it won't fulfill you as a person and it won't make the lives or life of others or one other person better, then it isn't the thing that you're meant to do. And then there's many, many conditions that are going to prevent you from doing it. There's some heavy lifting to do before change. right? Yes. And, yeah, on, on the inside, right? To think through yes. it. This is just not something that gets served to you. Uh, I have right. a coach, therefore... I am going to be in a better condition next week, right? There's, this is yeah, this work. Very true. One thing I think about is here, right? When we teach, for example, A3, we talk about social and technical. Uh-huh. And so I can have good internal study. I can have a good plan. I can have clear goals. Um, you said the, the words rally their team. And uh, soft skills are maybe harder to coach. Soft skills, blind spots. You know, things like that are different than technical skills. Technical skill building, you know, is is a, a physical thing that you have an output that you can mm-hmm. measure against, right? Mm-hmm. But the soft side, the social side, is a little bit harder and, and a little bit more open to interpretation. And when somebody has skills, and so much of coaching itself is that, um, how do you help people build those skills? The soft skills? Yeah. Yeah, um... It is more difficult because you're right, you don't have that measurable output. You know, something like rallying the team is just another way to say inspire people to not only believe the thing you're trying to do is possible and that it's better for for their customer, better for the community, better for themselves, but then also believing that they are the ones that have what it takes to do it. That sort of becomes the leader's job in, in the soft skill realm of how do you inspire them to it? And the number one way to be able to do that as the leader is you first have to be inspired yourself that it's possible. You have to be inspired yourself that you're the right one to lead that team, regardless of who the team is. If you don't believe you're meant to be the leader and you don't believe the thing you're trying to do is possible and that it is for the greater good and improve someone else's experience, then there's no amount of technical skill or the hard skills that are going to save you because that piece is missing. And to rally the team means you have to you have to transfer the idea from your mind into theirs in a way that they believe now they have ownership of the idea and they're excited about it. And if you can't, if you can't do that, 
which that's a skill in itself to be able to do, you're always going to struggle to to get them to sign up for it, to get them to want to complete the mission, if you will. Um, and f by that argument, I'd say, you know, we could say that inspiring your team is a hard skill. It's no longer that soft, oh, it's based on demeanor and personality or it's something you can talk through a lot. It's actually something that does take work. There are techniques to learn. There's many. And you find the one that fits you and works for you. Or you try different ones until you get a better result with one versus the other. And that's very much a, the same process as technical learning in a lot of ways. That's amazing. And I remember reading or hearing about inspire, inspiration and impact. Mm. Right? As, and I think both of those things are important because if you're helping somebody with something that will not be impactful in their life or others, uh, sort of what's the point? What's the point? Yeah. And that's the first question they'll ask. And if you're wondering the same thing as the leader of that or of the champ, <laughs> as a champion of that idea, then that's where you need to, you know, it's a good milestone. time out. Let's, <laughs> let's regroup because none of us are here for any of the right reasons. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Uh, we're out of time, but I don't want this to be done. So maybe we can continue. Soon. Part two. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Paul was tremendously helpful to me by engaging with me in a new way, encouraging me to think, experiment, and learn. He set the foundation for what coaching means to me in a business environment, and I can clearly see that I would not be where I am today without his tireless efforts to help me see things differently. Today, Paul helps executives become leaders who take back control of their time, inspire their teams at work, and lead their families at home. Um, he helps them to win back hours every day to focus on strategy and improvement while getting the energy they need to create a balanced life. The best way to connect with him, if you'd like to, is on LinkedIn or at his website, paulserafino.com. Jason is a bold and fearless leader who is so much fun to work with. He knows how to set a challenge and he's a teacher by nature. I had the great fortune to be paired with Jason to learn and explore A3 Thinking together where he works at Legal Seafood in the food sector. One area that we at LEI invest our hearts and minds in to bring about change. If you share our passion, we hope you'll join us. We have an upcoming event, Good Jobs and Good Work for Food Service. It's at District Hall on November 6th from 6 to 8 p.m. Now let's hear from Jason. All right, thank you for coming in to talk to me. Thank you for having me. How were you first exposed to the idea of coaching versus managing? I think um, people development is a is is um, a big part of coaching uh, in my industry, um, with lots of different levels of different types of work um, all combined together. Coaching is is kind of been about mentoring. I think it's always about coaching. There's standards that are set in place. Uh, for the business and so it's about constantly trying to maintain those standards and so I guess that's where where the coaching mentoring uh, leading or managing managing comes in to keep us on track were you coached early in your career like before you were exposed to lean thinking or lean practice of any kind uh, was coaching a part of your development early on uh, absolutely. I think um, uh, self-development was, was big, leadership development, uh, classes, books, how to become a better manager. 
was, was a big part. So as you sought to develop yourself and develop your skills as a leader, um, as a thinker, in investing in other people, uh, coaching was a, an approach that's different than managing, but it was, it's been there for a while for you? I would say, I would say yes. Um, people development is a, is a big part of our business. And um, you know, to do that, you have to spend time and, and I would say coach people and, and upskill people. Uh, in the way that they go about their work. Uh, so developing other people in a coaching way. Did you play sports as a kid? I did. What sports did you play? I played hockey, golf, baseball, soccer. So you have a context for coaching that might be different than someone who didn't. Mm -hmm. What do you think is a similarity or difference between coaching in sports and coaching in business? I, I think there's there's definite similarities and, and synergy between the two. Um, you know, there's a coach that, that has uh, a plan to, to execute, and it's about getting the team behind that plan and, and, and executing it. And I think business is the same way. There's uh, goals, you know, maybe the terminology is different. Um, there's people that, that lead uh, the teams towards achieving those goals. So it's an interesting thing. The plan, on one hand, is pretty technical, right? You have a path forward, you have a vision, a strategy to get there. Um, but then getting the team behind the plan, and that's a whole different muscle. That, that's, that's uh, I'd say, the, the leadership and coaching of an individual uh, and their effectiveness um, is, is what leads people to achieve those goals. So I'm in a meeting, right? And I have five people show up. It's, they show up because it's on their calendar at this time. And uh, we're all engaged in the same piece of work. And I'm facilitating this meeting. And I start to feel like a server, right? That I'm serving up this information and I'm tending to you and I'm sharing you and I'm trying to pull you in. Uh, and I notice there's not this isn't the same as a team working toward a thing. This is me in front of a room tending to what you need in terms of information. And so what coaching advice would you give me in that situation or what questions or how would you coach through that? Uh, f for me, it's uh, knowing the audience um, and creating engagement. If, you, if people are engaged, then um, I think that's how you start to, to build on that teamwork or to help get people to align. What is a tactic for enrolling uh, or enlisting or recruiting engagement? Uh, asking questions. Um, trying to get to what might excite someone about being there. You, know, you have to tap into them personally, I would say, to find out What's something, what, what somebody wants to get involved with? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Cool. And being able to think on both of those tracks, right? So technically you have a, a vision and a strategy and somewhere you want to get to, uh, but not at the expense of leaving people behind. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, you have, to, you have to bring everybody along and you have to find a way to get people excited, I think, in, in my, my approach, I would, I would say that. All right, so at some point you were exposed to coaching probably early in sports as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and then you 
made decisions and progressed forward in life and now you're in a business situation and coaching versus leading or mentoring or managing is part of your approach and always has been or what I'm trying to get at is when did you first start to apply coaching tactics or techniques and how did that first application go what did that feel like and um, what was different about that than managing someone well I think to, to start at the beginning I, I learned by doing things wrong that's for sure <laughs> um, uh, r realizing that the outcomes that I, I wanted or the responses that I thought I was going to get I didn't get from people um, so it, it was pretty evident to me um, as I was running into the walls um, that I wasn't effective in either managing, leading, or coaching. You know, so it got me to reflect on my style, my approach, um, and I'd say that's when I really started to um, focus on on growing in that uh, leadership, mentorship, coaching department uh, to try to improve and one of one of the books I think originally that helped me was um, how to win friends and influence people yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was kind of my start but I think it just it just evolved over time of you know, managing versus coaching I think coaching has some motivation components behind it versus just managing tasks and results and to deadlines and you know, just making sure that people achieve things. I think when you're you're coaching, you're inspiring, you're motivating, uh, you're uplifting, you're um, creating purpose uh, for people. Um, something that is exciting for them to to be a part of. Well, it's been the hardest skill, right? So you these are skills, right? Being able to relate to people. Mm -hmm being able to discover sort of their unmet needs or what excites them, right? And being able to put your own intentions or plan or strategy aside in order to bring other people along. Uh, other things too uh, are skills in coaching, being a skilled coach. And what has been the hardest skill for you to develop? I think for, for me, um, I have a optimism bias. And so that's on, on one hand is great because you know people people feel confident in in following I guess with that. But on the other hand, um, you know, I'll I'll continue to try to make that work as many ways as possible, even if uh, maybe I should be giving up. Is it something that? you have worked on and mastered or something that you're still working on? I think I'm still working on that. I mean, there's, there's a lot to, to work on, but that's, that's one thing that I think became evident to me, um, you know, as you started coaching us. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, I wasn't worried about disrupting um, mm -hmm. the, yeah. the, the shifts with, by <laughs> experimentation. It was just go, you know, and... Yeah, I think that that that's an example of just thinking that it, it's something's going to be put into place and it's it's going to work and let's just go ahead and do it mm -hmm. and, and steamroll it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, so that's something that I think that I've learned is to kind of 
sit back a little bit, simplify things, be a little bit more calculated um, in my approach. Mm -hmm. I remember an experiment that I ran, a pilot that I ran, with a team uh, at my former company. And we had studied and studied the situation and developed a really great solution. And it was, it was nice. It was technically perfect. But when we went to roll it out, uh, we were on our own because we hadn't brought the people along in the way that they needed to be brought along. And I think that contributed to my being reluctant to experiment or, or wanting to be perfect about designing the experiment. Right. And I think that's a lot of the reason why Josh paired me up with that opportunity, knowing that you had an accelerator <laughs> and that I had like a really strong break um, in my, my planning phase. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So thinking about through that whole plan, do, check, adjust, maybe together we can make a circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We did some good experiments, though. Of course. Um, you talked about um, you learned by doing things wrong which I really appreciate. I mean, there's nothing like the value of failure. And I'm not saying that doing things wrong is failing, necessarily, and I'm certainly not saying that failing is a bad thing, but when I think about attitude, right, how have you been coached by anyone um, through honest feedback that allows for sincere reflection? The first thing is that I was taught by some of my mentors you know, is to to be humble in your approach um, and accept the feedback. You know, as as things are, you know, the perception is reality, and if uh, if things are seen a thir certain way or you're getting a certain result that isn't the one that you want, then you have to, you know, be honest with yourself that. Um, you're not where you need to be and there needs to be improvement. So it's a hard thing to hear sometimes, really straightforward feedback. Mm -hmm. And I think there needs to be a level of trust built between a person and their coach mm -hmm. in order to exchange that feedback in a really straightforward way that's actually useful. Um, what are some of the prerequisites, either for you as a coach to others or for people who are going to coach you to establish that trust? What do you think? Uh, that's the, I think that's the key to it all. You know, if there's no trust, there's no progress, there's no good relationship because if you don't trust someone, you're not going to be completely honest with that person or they're not going to be completely honest with you. Um, so building that trustworthy relationship, I think, is the first key uh, to to the stepping stone of um, being able to coach someone or to, to be coached. Without that trust there that um, you don't feel or they don't feel um, comfortable with, then you're not gonna, you're only gonna go so far. It's all, it's gonna, there's gonna be a lot of surface level um, engagement or communication. Yeah, and I think the hard feedback is going to not feel right, mm -hmm. right? It'll feel like, um, yeah, you can't trust it, like you're saying, yeah. And so there's this idea of being willing, you know, your willingness to be coached, or if you're the coach, that person's willingness to be coached by you. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that you can sense or gauge 
that willingness in yourself and in others. If it's easier to come at it the other way, uh, thinking of yourself, what are some obstructions? Like, what are some things that that surface in you that indicate that you're not willing to be coached by that person? I don't know. It's kind of a sixth sense, I guess. It is a feel, um, right? Yeah. You know, and I think you always you're always going to be guarded at first, you know, until certain things happen that allow you to kind of open yourself up to, to someone to be able to, to trust them. But for me, you know, it's, I'd say that I'm always very guarded with people until I get a good sense of, of who they are um, before I'm going to follow their, their lead, I mm-hmm. would say. And who they are having to do with their their character, their ethics, their motives. Um, you know, if you work with enough people, you start to you start to be able to identify uh, character traits in people. I would say. Yeah, that's amazing. So, what if you're in a relationship, uh, a um, hierarchical relationship, with a person, whether they call themselves a coach or a mentor or a manager, whatever, that you kind of don't have that trust built with. How do you overcome that? Uh, Sometimes you have to work within the constraints that you're given in a hierarchical uh, scenario. And um, I'd say continue to, to try to chip away to the point where you can start to better understand a person, their motives, and how they uh, respond or react to, to you, or to me, I should say. Yeah, I know what you're saying, yeah, thank you. And so taking it sort of out of the abstract of this, you know, coach as a role, and bring it, bringing it into coaching someone to do something, or to be something, I guess. Uh, what is the last new thing you learned or tried? Specifically? Yes. From a, what what type of uh... anything? I know one. So if you don't come up with one, I can offer it. You know one? Because <laughs> we both tried it at the same time. What was that? The garden. The garden. Unless you had done that before, I don't no, know. No, I hadn't. Yep. So that was something new, right? Yeah. You hadn't. That's a, that's a, a that's quite a lot to learn. Yes. Yeah. Um, did you did you have a coach? <laughs> you no, I failed miserably. <laughs> I had a coach. Did you? I succeeded. Yeah, I, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I started late in the game, and for, what, for many reasons, I, my garden was not successful. It looked really cool, though, I have to say. Yeah, well, it's going to be much better next year. You're going to come back at it? Of course. And you're going to coach yourself? Yes. From your failures? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so aside from the garden, can you think of another thing that you've done, uh, maybe preferably something that you did get coaching through while you're thinking? Mm-hmm. This is, I find this question catches people off guard and I think especially sort of the older we are and with our kids and our families and our work we kind of stop doing new things Mm -hmm. a little bit Uh, so it's hard to answer sometimes but it is also a reflection for us I think. Mm. I've had some I've had a few um, challenges I would say at at work with some uh, personnel and um, so I, d- I recently had s- some coaching on kind of my responsibilities, you know, maybe broader than I 
I felt that they were. Um, so my eyes were kind of open to just ways that I should approach things maybe a little bit more than I had originally thought that I, I should in, in regards to uh, communicating and making contact with certain people that are outside of my area of influence. Um, but I have um, had interactions with these, these people at points, but mm -hmm. not directly involved with their growth and development. But anyways, I needed, I needed some, some insight on how to maybe better handle those, that approach in the future kind of widening my uh, scope of responsibility. Yeah, and the person who offered you the feedback or the coaching, I mean, in that case especially, because you have your intuition, which you're going on, mm -hmm. and your experience and your wisdom, and you're just like, in the moment, you're doing your thing, and you think you're, we think we're doing everything the best we can, and having that sort of outside influence uh, offer a suggestion, uh, that coach, that trust is key, right? To be able to take that person up on what they're saying versus discard it. Mm -hmm. Has there been people who have offered you coaching that you did discard? I'm sure. Mm. <laughs> Are you coachable? Absolutely. Everyone answers that way. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think if you, if you, if you want to grow personally, you know, or professionally, um, you have to be open to coaching. I don't think it's something that, that ever ends and there's, uh, an unlimited amount of information in this world, so um, always opportunity to, to grow. I love the expression used, be open to coaching. So that actually means quite a lot, right? Because that supposes this level of vulnerability. I remember the first, you know, the, the, my first coach. Uh, there are two people who took a coaching approach, I'll say. And this was the first time that I was having exposure to a coaching approach versus a management approach. And I described one as like kicking in the door and the other as turning on the light. That was the experience that I had with the, the two of them. And, and they sort of required that I took the walls down mm -hmm. and opened up to be willing to try new things and get new feedback. And it, it was a little scary. Thinking about coaching now, you have two kids. Mm -hmm. Two girls. Two girls. And what is coaching, how, how does coaching play a role in parenting, if it does? Uh, I think I'll go back to learning by making mistakes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's something new. I think there's a, definitely a correlation there. Uh, you know, you're, you're learning a new, new skill set, you know, how to, how to take care of kids. Um, and balance your life and work and um, all that comes along with that. So there's different kinds of coaching, right? There's like direct intervention, like don't touch the stove. <laughs> and then there's counsel, uh, you know, like what do you think this is or how do you think we should handle this, right? Now how do you choose, whether it's with your kids or with people at work, whatever, um, what is right, what is the right type of intervention in the right moment? Oh, I, I don't know. It's, you know, I think it's that's a, a very challenging question because sometimes with young kids, you know, your emotion takes over um, versus your logical thinking. So that's some of the uh, mistakes being made, I would say. To be faced with a similar scenario 
the next time and, and maybe approaching it differently. Thinking about the next time, right? So implying the necessity, I guess, for iteration. And uh, that whole reflection piece, right? Building the trust so you can get the reflection, uh, learning through doing things wrong, mm -hmm. all implies like the safety to fail and the opportunity to try again. Have you ever been, uh, so thinking of you as someone who's been coached, right, versus you as the coach, have you ever been in a situation, a work or professional situation where it wasn't safe to fail or do it wrong? So for example, if I'm preparing food for somebody and they're like a piece of meat has to be cooked for a certain amount of time or to a certain temperature <laughs> so it won't make someone sick, right? So that I cannot fail at that. That's right. danger, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so that's great. How do you coach someone through that versus tell someone through that? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if uh, what which side of the coin that would be on. You know, that might just be tell someone to make, <laughs> make yeah. sure it's yeah. The, yeah. the right temperature at the right time. Yeah, yeah, and it goes into the same like, what intervention do you choose, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what intervention do you choose? But even even with that, and if you're going to take that type of approach. Um, there has to be an investment in someone's, you know, kind of what I call their emotional bank account. You know, if you haven't built up enough trust with that person to be able to just tell them, hey, cook this thing at, at this right temperature, you know, if, if they don't trust you, they might not listen. So you can choose to maybe tell versus coach as long as that person trusts you. It's underlying everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had to work really hard to earn someone's trust? Probably, I, not someone that I can think of uh, mm -hmm. off the, the top of my head. I think um, you know, long, uh, long tenured relationships are probably fall into that category for me. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the more interactions that are had, the more um, clear the understanding between people are that. Um, allow you to either trust or, or be trusted, I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about the skills of coaching, right? So at first we're exposed to this thing uh, through sports or through work or through however we get exposed to it. Um, and then we maybe choose it as a path and we start to apply it. And we learn and get better by doing things wrong and iterating. And we seek reflection from people we trust. And then we can start to build a little bit of skill with some reps, mm -hmm. right? And so we talked about some of the skills, social and technical. Suppose you have social buy-in trust from people. You've got those bank accounts set, right? Uh, and you propose a plan, a plan forward, that doesn't fly. Suppose you have six people behind you and you go into this thing and you lead them in a direction that is the wrong direction. What do you think about that? Does that affect your credibility as a coach or a leader? Um, I, it depends on what happens if, when you get to the wrong direction. <laughs> do, do you figure out how to, how to right the ship and go in the right direction? But I would say yes, it, it, it definitely can affect you you know if you're if you're the leader and you're taking someone in the wrong direction um, you can lose trust in people for sure yeah yeah 
That's, that's interesting. But if you have enough built up into in that uh, bank account, they'll allow you to make a mistake and then course correct in, into another direction to, to get the ship on the right path. Have you ever uh, seen or experienced someone who doesn't have sort of uh, pure motivations or intentions toward people? Um, so there's this, this line maybe between influencing others and manipulating others. Mm -hmm. And influencing people with good intention, right? To develop them, to unleash their potential, to pull out everything that they've got to offer in this world to help them shine. Uh, versus sort of manipulating them to accomplish the thing that whatever, you know, the organization or whoever needs accomplished. Or even just to have them, you know, do something so that, I, you know, a person feels powerful in having moved them to do it. Um, if you've ever experienced someone lead or manage in that way, uh, how do you confront that or do you? Um, definitely been exposed to people <coughs> like that. Um, I don't know how much influence you can have with, with someone of that mindset. Um, I think for me it's, it's been about uh, working within the confines of which I can operate uh, effectively uh, and staying kind of within those lines. Mm -hmm. When you're coaching someone, when you're developing a skill in someone, so let's bring it again back to something concrete. Uh, so someone has a certain level of capability and you can see potential in them to raise that capability and be a problem solver or something. Um, have you, so I'm very curious about this question, when do you overestimate someone? When do you like recognize that maybe they don't have that potential that you see in them or that they're not willing to put in the work to realize that potential? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and I have th this one person I have in mind that I I coached, and I, I saw a lot of potential. And uh, they had potential. Um, I don't know if I felt felt bad for them in a way, you know, that where they were at in, in their life, and I, I thought that they could improve. And I spent a lot of time with this person, and... Um, it was always two steps forward, one step back, mm -hmm. and with my optimism bias, I always thought that we could get it over the finish line with this person um, as far as their development and growth, and, um, you know, it, it, I think it was my path for them versus their path for them, which was... Uh, ultimately ended up being the failure um, you know and I was I was probably pushing too much or trying to um, guide this person in a certain down a certain path and it wasn't the path for them and I I beat that drum into the ground and then I at some point realized it was never going to be that is a lot of investment of energy yeah. and time and effort. Yeah. Yeah. And what, so reconciling, right? Revolving, uh, iterating. What would you have done differently, do you think? 
But if people are sort of setting their own course or aligning their own path, and that path is divergent with the path of your department or your strategic initiatives or whatever, uh, there's some sort of compromise, I guess, or some sort of alignment that happens there, right? Presumably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that, that's where you can pull different people into a team where, you know, um, other people might have different strengths that can help support the overall goal um, of whatever initiative it is or, or corporate vision. Um, And just use the strengths that everybody has to achieve whatever the, the goal may be. That's amazing. So this is a skill, right? As a leader, as a coach, you need to be able to kind of feel, get a feel for what strengths you need on this team. And it might not be the obvious things, right? You might need a person who's very socially engaging, right? Mm -hmm. To keep that uh, momentum going. You might need a person who has a relentlessly positive attitude just to keep that buoyant. And so we're not necessarily assembling a skills matrix, right. uh, but pulling together the attitudes and the, the right dynamics. Dynamic is the key. To form the team. How did you learn to do that? Probably by failing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, different, different people in different places and different environments. And so you recognize, you start to recognize uh, how people interact and what an effective team looks like and they even though they might look differently um, that you know uh, based on their uh, culture of that team I guess um, if it's an effective team for the for the work or not and then that aspect of I guess leadership shows up in knowing when to make changes and when to ride it out mm -hmm. and that comes from experience mm -hmm. and that comes from failures for sure wow so key uh fundamental i guess to a good coaching practice is i guess a strength of character the ability to establish trust and maintain that with people and the i guess vision or skill to be able to assess a situation and know what's their own path guide them down that path and not um is there anything else you want to share about coaching or being coachable um sure i'd say you know, speaking specifically to when you came in to to coach us, um, you know, for me that was a great opportunity for education, and it really, I think, um, helped me see things a little bit differently, maybe than I had previously. Um, I think the the structure, the content. Um, you, of course, <laughs> and your approach um, was very helpful for me. Um, some of the tools that are used to, to be able to uh, break down problems and try to solve problems. But yeah, that was um, it was a great education for me to have you uh, a part of our team, and it was very helpful for myself and others. Um, to see things differently. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. It was a team of four. I wasn't expecting four. I had no idea week to week how I was going to uphold uh, what all of what there is to offer, mm -hmm. right, and to convey that in a meaningful way. So 
to think it was at least a little bit impactful is pretty cool. So how about your experience uh, with coaching us? Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, I didn't know what I was walking into. I was just kind of blind. Like, here's an, here's an opportunity, come to it. So a, a lot of vulnerability. Um, secondly, like not having a game plan, not mm-hmm. having a program laid out is counterintuitive for me. So I like to plan the whole technical aspect and really showing up and trying to be responsive to what you knew and what you needed and what you were receptive to. Not you, but the four, mm-hmm. the three, four of you. And you were at different levels of understanding. I The hardest thing for me was practicing what I was preaching. So if you notice, there were times when, I mean, of course you noticed, it's awful. <laughs> but I was like emphasizing the value of questions and then telling you what to do. <laughs> Especially Jim, poor Jim. <laughs> he, he took it hard. Um, so that was very hard because I believe in what I'm telling you and yeah. I see the value. I just don't have the, the practice, yet, the mm-hmm. discipline yet. So that was very challenging. And then, of course, like I ran quickly into my threshold of, um, of understanding about... Uh, I, was, I, I could run an experiment, right? I know how to set up a good experiment, but there was how I would do it and there was how you guys did it and trying to win in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, do things like you did and that in itself just for me was a like uh, something to adjust to and be okay with just trying stuff and and josh was encouraging me to do that right Mm -hmm. just stop planning start doing um and then uh, i remember you know learning as much as there was to learn i mean for a long time just standing there talking learning observing investigating um, and wanting, there were two countermeasures that I wanted to try, um, but I didn't actually believe that they would make, I didn't believe that they would change things in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. Because uh, no one of the workers in the two areas came up with those ideas. They were mine. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to make someone here or someone here come up with that idea. And I felt as though that was necessary before we tried to change something. Because I feel like if it was my bright idea from this person who comes in and sees all the things you're doing wrong and tells you what to do differently, I felt as soon as I left, it would go back uh, to, to the old way. Uh, so, but, but I regret not, not trying uh, two of the things that I thought would have worked. And, and I tell you, every time I go into a similar atmosphere, which you know is not very often, but it's once in a while, um, I envision the countermeasures that I wanted to put in place. And I so that, um, in hindsight, what I would have done differently is let go of, what I, uh, of my planning more and um, sought help for how to bring the people on board to help them see the vision. Um, that was sort of where I ran into a threshold. I know where I worked before here, experimentation was not okay. Like you do not experiment on the work. A customer is paying for that work. Mm-hmm. That's not a place to experiment. So that was some of the things I had to break in my own conditioning. But how, how then, right, if somebody wants to improve and wants to change their condition, improve the quality of their work and their life at work, but nobody from on high is like signing uh, the permission slip to do so, 
what do you recommend? How, what, how would you coach that person into improvement when it's not sort of validated through the organization? I think you do have to experiment. I think people, there are people that bring ideas to the table for improvements and if they can show if they can show the improvement and are willing to uh, do the work to, to make that improvement or have done the work to show the improvement then I think we are open to to making changes that way um, as long as they're just not bringing it and saying here do this mm-hmm. uh, not my responsibility yeah sense of ownership as long as they're yeah. engaged in it and and can show some results I think we're uh, we're willing to to change and so for 27,000 listeners <laughs> right. Or two, the two. Hi guys. Yeah. Hi mom and dad. Yeah. Hey, listen to my podcast. <laughs> what would you say to the organizations out there, uh, the who who do not currently engage in coaching and improvement? I would say to be open to it. Simply, um, you know, there's there's a lot of people with a lot of ideas, and the more people that can at least share in the ideas um, you, you don't know what the results could be or who's capable of what if you don't give them an opportunity I love it thank you You're welcome. as I take a look back at the coaching I received from Paul and a look forward at the coaching I was able to provide to Jason and his team, it means a lot to me to have had such great and influential and powerful and encouraging and emboldening uh, people in my own coaching story. A sincere and heartfelt thanks to both Paul and Jason for joining me in conversation and sharing their perspectives with me and all of you. The WLEI podcast is produced by Emma Rippa and Lori Moniz here at the Lean Enterprise Institute. And thanks to you as well for tuning in. If you'd like to be a part of our conversation, please email us, pod at lean.org, P-O-D at lean.org. Coachable will be back in a month, but please tune in next Monday for another episode of WLEI.